Welcome to the Azure Wrap Podcast, Episode 12, Recap of the 2017 Azure Spring Meeting. Welcome to the Azure Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, Raj Gupta, with my co-host, as always, Eric Schwank. How are you, Eric? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. And just as a reminder, I'm a, a, an anesthesiologist at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. And Eric uh, is an anesthesiologist at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. And we have two uh, phenomenal guests with us. I, I feel almost reluctant to introduce them because you should probably already know who they are. Um, so first off is Sandy Kopp, who's an anesthesiologist, uh, anesthesiologist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, and uh, Colin McCartney, who's at the Ottawa Hospital at the University of Ottawa in Canada. So we have an international uh, representation for our show today. And our topic for today is going to be the spring ASRA meeting that we just had a few weeks ago and kind of reflecting back on some of the topics that we covered at that meeting. Um, so I want to welcome Colin and Sandy. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, guys. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here as well. So uh, let's start it off. Uh, and uh, Sandy, I wanted to get your opinions. Uh, just generally speaking, what do you think of the meeting this year? You've been to so many of these now. Um, uh, what do you feel like Azra's doing right and wrong and how are we move it along? Yeah, you know, actually, it was funny. I was thinking when I was at that meeting that I, it was my 15th ASRA meeting in a row, wow. um, which, yeah, crazy. Um, I started when I was 14 years old, um, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. She was a go-getter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, this meeting was absolutely fantastic. Um, I think... Uh, the location was great. It was too bad. The, I think the weather outside kept people in their seats, which is um, which was great. Um, but definitely most successful meeting to date. Um, the numbers were were really fantastic, um, and I think that that's due to um, all the hard work by Andre Masser and the um, program committee, as well as um, Julie Simper and the rest of the Azure team. It was it was just a great meeting. A lot of great topics. Um, people were in their seats. People were talking about things. The posters, I've never seen so many people at the poster, um, the post poster moderation, moderating sessions. Yeah, we had, I know I moderated two of the sessions. We had excellent crowds and really good engagement at those poster sessions. Um, I, my biggest problem was I couldn't be as many places as I wanted to be at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Colin, how about you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a lot of fun, the meeting. I mean, I, I I, I agree with Sandy. The weather was a bit on the rough side, but um, but you know, on the on the positive note, that keeps everybody in the meeting. I, I remember You're the Cancun. Canada. I remember the Cancun meeting about ten years ago when uh, <laughs> the weather was, was just too good. The beaches were just too nice, and uh, but anyway, so San Francisco was great in that regard. Um, I think what I remember is just the incredible excitement and buzz around the meeting. There was a great social media presence at the meeting, you know, led by uh, Ed Mariano and Kelly Jeremko and, and other colleagues. Um, there was incredible number of residents and trainees there. It was just fantastic to be interacting with all these people that are 
just really enthusiastic about the the specialty and uh, and it's just exactly where I was uh, you know just just really uh, where Sandy was about 15 years ago when I was actually 17 um, <laughs> and uh, you know it was uh, a great meeting for for me you had a had an absolute blast yeah excellent um, I, I was wondering uh, what you guys, I wasn't able to really attend any of these sessions myself, and I don't know if you guys were either with your, your busy schedules, but the uh, the practice management portfolio addition to the meeting, um, that was probably one of the big new notable things. Did you what, what impressions did you guys have either based on talking to other people or, or maybe hearing some of the lectures or um, just being at the meeting? Yeah, I, I wasn't at those sessions actually, Eric. Um, but I did hear a number of people talking about how much they value those sessions, and um, so I think, as you know, coming from outside the country, um, you know, the, obviously the, the the U.S. practice management side of things is not so applicable to us in Canada, but it but it does have some a application. But I I know that members really value that side of uh, of, of how to manage their practice and. Uh, I did hear a number of people saying that they really enjoyed those sessions. Actually, I was um, talking to a couple of our fellows right before this because I knew I was kind of prepping for this and asking people what they enjoyed and what they thought was um, the best. And actually, one of our fellows who's going to be uh, leaving and going into private practice said that he did the practice management session and thought it was really fantastic. Um, answered a lot of the questions that he had um, and really... Um, really uh, just helped him prepare a lot for leaving um, the academics and going into private practice. So I think it was well done. I was struck. We, we had uh, Alex Vison on a, a previous episode of the podcast, and I was struck by how applicable a lot of the things that they were planning on discussing in the practice management portfolio that apply to any practice, really. I mean, we think about it as a private practice um, issue, but really in academics, we're thinking about the balance between finances and uh, resource limitation and delivering the best current modern medical care to patients. And really, those topics apply to any country because every country is resource limited in some way or another. Now, some of the uh, U.S. policy or um, uh, law issue, legal issues may be different than other countries, but general concepts of balancing resource limitation and trying to do the most best care for your patients always seems to apply to anybody. Yeah, totally agree with that. I think many countries around the world now are using the, you know, the IHI triple aim for, to guide how they allocate resources. And, uh, you know, that's, that was developed in, uh, in the United States. And it's, uh, as, as you say, as, as applicable in any part of the world as it is in the U.S. So, Colin, one of the other things that struck me is that you guys were venturing forth on a new effort. Uh, ASRA does these special interest groups to try to feed, uh, well, serves two purposes. One is to develop uh, topics that are of subcategory interest, but also to get new people, new voices into the society and engaged in moving the society in certain directions. And you started up this education SIG, um, and this was the first go around for that. What do you think of that process, and where do you think it's headed? Well, you know, it's I, I'm pretty new to the whole uh, special interest group uh, aspect of the of the society, but I've been really uh, impressed by it so far. I mean, 
one of the things that I've felt in Azra for a number of years, we you know we have a great group of individuals who who have a not just a special interest in in teaching regional anesthesia, but a special interest in how to teach regional anesthesia. And uh, you know we've we've many colleagues from around the world that are building a, a good evidence base in that area now. You know, for for many years we've we've taught regional anesthesia at Azra. If you look back in the history of Azra, that's why the uh, you know the whole concept of Azra came around really in uh, in the early days. And uh, but you know the the science uh, and the scientific basis of how we teach is is uh, less well developed. There have been some studies over the years. Um, you know, that have looked at sort of quantitative measures of how many blocks you need to do, for example, to gain competence. But the actual sort of psychometrics around how to teach regional anesthesia are less well developed. Um, so I was really excited to sort of try and put together a collaborative group of individuals from around the world. And I thought the ASRA special interest group format might be a, an ideal format for that. ASRA is, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the preeminent um, regional anesthesia societies in the world, if not the preeminent society. And I thought it would be an ideal uh, location to have a special interest group with uh, collaborators from around the world. So myself and one of my colleagues at University of Ottawa, Riva Ram Logan, um, had the idea of putting together a special interest group. We, we, we applied through, the, uh, through, through the, the, the board of directors and had that approved recently. And, uh, you know, the... Really, the, the mission of the of the SIG is to develop uh, and advance evidence-based educational practices in regional anesthesia training, uh, and in particular within the context of a competency, competency-based educational model, which is, you know, as, as you know, is a lot of our residency programs around the world are starting to apply competency-based outcomes as opposed to uh, time-based outcomes. So we, we got approval for that about two months ago. We've already got over 250 members in the SIG, which is incredible. We've got people from all around the world. We have some of the, you know, uh, very strong senior leaders in regional anesthesia and regional anesthesia education, people like Joe Neal and Michael Barrington and other people like that. We have uh, junior members that are just really excited to be part of a SIG. Uh, we had a preliminary meeting at the uh, the spring meeting and we had about 20 to 30 people in the uh, in the room just with full of great ideas, uh, excitement about how to move the special interest group forward. Um, so, you know, talked a little bit about why uh, I'd like uh, I wanted to have this special interest group uh, you know one of the things that that I'd like to develop for our members is you know regular meetings to to develop further develop the evidence base around um, teaching regional anesthesia learning regional anesthesia I'd like to develop um, with colleagues a collaborative group of people to move the sign the uh, evidence base forward um, so that we can teach all of our trainees uh, in the best way possible um, I'd, I'd like us to be developing uh, workshops at Azra on teaching the teachers. I, I've always felt that, um, you know, in our fellowship programs, for example, we should not only be training great regional anesthesiologists, we should be gr- training great trainers of regional anesthesiology. Um, and, and we need to know uh, better how to do that. Um, and I think the uh, uh, Azra is an, an ideal format for developing a web page uh, to, to hold these resources and some links for that. Uh, useful for scientists around the world when they want to develop studies in this area and uh, uh, just really sort of build collaborations across across the world and um, so you know in terms of what I need from for people is I, I you know if you're interested and you, you in, in signing up with a special interest group and it is free if you're a member of ASRA um, then please do so feel free to email me or to uh, 
um, contact me on, on, on Twitter, if you like. My uh, email address is uh, colin.mccartney at toh.ca. My Twitter account is at Colin J. McCartney. And I'd uh, be delighted to hear from anybody who's interested or has ideas. Um, we are, at the present time, just pulling together our liaison groups. Um, so subgroups within the SIG include research, webcast, web page and newsletter uh, leads and we've had a number of interested individuals already but if people are interested in, in joining those committees uh, those subcommittees of the sig then uh, be delighted to, uh, to to have them involved so yeah it's an exciting time in azure I, I, to bring it back to where i started i wasn't very familiar with the sig process but having now started to uh, develop one of these special interest groups i can see not only how it sort of develops energy and enthusiasm around particular subject areas, but it also really adds member value for, for Azure members. Now, Colin, uh, just a quick, quick question for those of, of the listeners who may not be familiar with the, uh, the special interest groups. Is this something that there's, there's a lot of ongoing dialogue between meetings? It's, it's not just the meetings that, that these uh, groups are, are focused on, but there's a lot of back and forth, maybe through email and, and other formats between. Is that right? Yeah, I think you know. It, I think it varies from SIG to SIG, Eric. But I think the ideally, what we'd like to develop is an ongoing sort of conversation and collaboration between colleagues, so that it's not just a sort of once or twice yearly meet up at the meeting kind of thing, but it's a, a you know a regular communication contact through the newsletter, through the website, um, through people collaborating together across the world on on uh, on re on research and education for regional anesthesia. Um, so that's the, uh, you know, I mean, Azra for me has always been a great society for bringing people together. I, 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 I love the edu the scientific program, but more than anything, I just love standing and chatting to colleagues and friends from over the years and, uh, and learning new things. And, uh, and I think that's the sort of forum that I'd like to sort of further develop through the spe special interest group. And, you know, we get, uh, questions and I know you guys have gotten questions about young people fellows like Sandy was talking about that are just graduating asking how can they get involved they feel like they can't break into the leadership or the actual organizational part of Azra well this is a fantastic opportunity this is a brand new sig there are no vested uh, or 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 you know well established interests in this sig and if you have ideas or interests in this at, uh, area of uh, regional anesthesia uh, it's a great opportunity to get your feet in and even potentially take a leadership role. As Colin said, you know, some of these roles have not even been fully defined yet. So there's an opportunity to help shape ASRA and um, regional anesthesia education for everybody uh, early on. So I highly advocate for people to go seek this out and uh, get your voice heard in this community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So um, I think that's a great idea. Um you know, moving on from the SIG, uh, Sandy, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the topic areas that um, were brought up during the meeting. I feel like every meeting, the, there seems to be a theme, and uh, uh, and it seems to somewhat be planned, but sometimes organic to where topics kind of move to and from. And one topic I keep seeing uh, periodically, but has changed over time, is how do we manage total joints, particularly knees and hips, and uh, I was thinking about this the other day is have we finally figured this out yet? Have we do, do we know what to do? Because every meeting I go to, I feel like we revisit this topic, which tells me that nobody's really satisfied with what they're doing right now. Um, 
do you know the answer? <laughs> do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. Um, no pressure. Uh, no pressure, you know, right. The, yeah. funny th- <laughs> the funny thing about that is, is that these topics are chosen years in advance. You know, these meetings are, are the meeting chairs is selected, what, four years at least in advance. Yeah, I'm working on and 2019 then, right now, trying to figure out what yeah, topic areas. And, I'm, and actually, I'm asking, this is a very selfish move. I'm trying to figure out how much to emphasize knees and hips at our 2019 <laughs> meeting. In two years, do we need to be talking about it anymore? I would hope we'd have something figured out by then. But you know what? I mean, every time you think that something new comes up or somebody, you know, comes up with a a new idea. And so I don't know if we'll ever have it figured out, to tell you the honest truth. But and the other thing is I'm, I'm convinced that maybe there isn't a best for everybody, but that everybody has a best for them. And that ASRA is there to kind of introduce you to all of the options and maybe um, allow you to hear from the experts kind of a, you know, a nice condensed version of, of what's out there and what's what's the, the, the evidence for these things for you to then pick what your best is. Um, I, I just don't believe that there's a one size fits all for all of these programs. So, um, now are you separating so, one size fits all per institution or one size yeah. fits all per patient? No, um, well, yeah, I suppose you could you could even go there. Um, I think first you have to start with per institution um, and come up with what works for your institution, for your surgeons, for your um, you know the the experience level of your of your. Uh, physician or of your anesthesiologist remember not everybody has a large group of people who are fellowship trained you know there's there's places that you know people haven't done fellowships or maybe haven't done blocks in a long time and so you know their exposure and experience to you know things like a SOAS block for example is going to be much less than a institution that's big and and does you know, thousands a year. So I think you have to start with institution, um, coming up with what works for your institution. But then I agree that not every patient is going to fit into a certain protocol either. Um, although I think, um, you know, it, it definitely gives you a place to start and then a pathway to then at least deviate from, you know, versus just going all over the place. Um, we just in um, partnership. So my meeting was a 2014 meeting, and we um, had a session at that time where we had um, uh, members from ASRA and then members from the European Society of Regional Anesthesia um, put together basically a best kind of best practice for total knee arthroplasty. And um, everybody gave lectures, and then it was going to result in a, in a manuscript um, that was going to kind of summarize the current um, the the current research. And um, and 2014 was a long time ago, and it just I just sent the the revision um, in um, the other day because part of the problem was is every time we would every time we would come together and we would write a certain revision, then something you know, really novel would come out and we'd have to change everything. And so I finally just said, we've got to just send it in or we're going to just keep, it's going to be, you know, even three more years down the line before we do it. And, you know, that was kind of our joint, you know, um, look at the current literature. But, you know, when it came right down to saying, you know, is there one pathway, we 
we didn't really say there's one pathway. We kind of just said, these are the things that are available. This is what's positive and negative about these things. These are the things that we think work the best and, and, and went from there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know the, I mean, I, I can't tell you right now, you know, for a total knee, you should do X, Y, and Z. I think it just depends on your institution. Sandy, quick question. Um, yeah. what, what is your impression of, of, uh, kind of where we're at with femoral nerve blocks now and just in t- in talking to other ASRA members and developing the protocols? I know you've been involved in the joint protocols a lot, and obviously it's going to be somewhat institutional specific in areas of the country, but like I know talking talking to most of the surgeons, I'm pretty sure in their world, the femoral nerve block has kind of been uh, demonized to some degree after a knee arthroplasty. So I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, but I'm just curious where your uh, what your view is on this. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good question. Actually, the funny thing is, I was just talking to my fellows right before right before this started, and <clears throat> we had a patient who was coming for a um, below the knee amputation, and. So we were talking about what what to do and how how to best cover the the femoral component and you know they were like oh let's do an adductor canal catheter and I'm like okay you know just to play devil's advocate I said you know what what's the reason for doing an adductor canal versus a femoral catheter and they're like oh weakness I'm like okay well she's having a BKA you know <laughs> is she going to be up and around and they're like no and I'm like well which one do you think provides better analgesia and they're like well I don't know maybe the femoral I'm like well. I said, I, I'm old and and probably a tiny bit old-fashioned, and, and, and I think it probably does, but that doesn't mean that I go out and do femorals all the time either because I do think in patients who you need to mobilize, maybe they do need something that has less of the motor block. Um, but so they decided then to, to do a femoral catheter on this patient because it was probably going to provide her the best analgesia. Um, but... You know, um, I don't know. I think um, I think there's so much push now to do adductor canal catheters, and I think maybe that's okay. I think with our multimodal analgesia, um, maybe some periarticular um, infiltration by the surgeons, maybe maybe the adductor is great. Maybe you get enough pain control, enough analgesia, and with less motor block, and and that's the way to go. Um, I don't know. So just as a yeah, I mean, I've had that exact I've had that exact conversation about the the AKA the BKA cases, and it's kind of you know, all the issues you just talked about is exactly what we do, and it's kind of like oh, you know, they're they're not inferior according to a couple of the the RCTs, and yet when it comes down to it, what do most of us choose? If you have to choose without worrying about the uh, the weakness aspect, is you choose ephemeral. So there's got to be right. something going on there. It's hedging. Right. It's hedging our bets. So, <laughs> exactly. so just, just as a, what do you, what do you think, Colin? What does Colin think about that? Yeah, I was going to poll everybody. Like, what are you doing at your institution? <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I just want to say, I think Sandy, you took a great approach with your paper actually. Cause I think one of the problems of previous papers is they've been very didactic about yeah. saying you must do this or you must do that. I'm just thinking of like the prospect group, for example, that came out in, this is about 10 years ago now where they just said everybody needs to get neuraxial opioid and uh, and that's it. And the problem with doing that is that, you know, I think you're right, Sandy, it depends on your on your culture and your institution and the way people work together. And, and, you know, there are many different approaches and many of them work very well, depending on the different culture. And uh, I think the key thing is understanding your culture and then working uh, effectively with your team of, of uh, 
people in the operating room, the surgeons, the nurses, the anesthesiologists, and uh, you know, and then postoperatively with the physiotherapists as well to uh, to build a, a strong team and 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 focus on a target. And uh, you know, so we we've in the past focused on re- early rehabilitation as a target, and and then looked at the factors that that inhibit early rehabilitation, and then try to develop ways of overcoming those factors. I mean, currently what we do in our institution, um, most patients get uh, local infiltration analgesia, plus they also get a single shot ductal canal block for inpatient, sometimes in the ductal canal catheter. We also have a, a group of very motivated patients who want to go home on the same day as total knee replacement. And they're getting, um, a total, uh, they're getting uh, local infiltration plus an adducted canal catheter plus multimodal analgesia to go home. And they're actually very happy with that. Um, at the moment, you know, they're getting good pain control at home and, uh, uh, you know, and, and obviously they're in their own bed, eating their own food and all that sort of stuff. So patients are happy, but you have to be fairly motivated to do that. So I think, you know, I don't think we can sort of paint this all patients having total knee replacement with the same brush because there are different populations within that surgical procedure itself. Mm-hmm. So just to, to get, uh, you know, to try to avoid being fully definitive, but what is your plan A, Colin, at your institution for a knee? What what is the the primary choice before you start deviating for special circumstances? Uh, plan A would be uh, neuraxial block. Um, I don't put any long acting um, Sp- hydrophilic opioid in there. Spinal or so epidural? Sp- spinal, sorry, spinal anesthetic. Yeah, yeah with uh, usually with you know um, plain bupivacaine, and then and then I'll add um, a ductal canal catheter to that as well. Surgeon will put in local infiltration analgesia. And then multimodal analgesia as well. So usually a mixture of a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, some acetaminophen, um, usually low-dose uh, pregabalin as well, like 25 milligrams three times a day, and then uh, you know some small amount of opioid on top of that. I think you know the opioid is is necessary in some patients. We try and avoid it if we can, but um, but you know some patients need a bit of opioid, especially to sleep at night. And Sandy, what are you guys? What's your plan A for knees? Yeah, I would say probably the majority of our surgeons um, like the adductor canal catheter, um, multimodal analgesia, um, and then they do um, a periarticular um, infiltration as well. And then, uh, and then so, spinal for the case? Spinal for the case. Um, you know, we, we give the patient the option with a slight push towards spinal because I do think that there's, um, you know, the way I put it, there's definitely nothing to suggest that a spinal's worse than a general and probably, um, probably, uh, enough out there to suggest it's better. Um, but we don't, we don't use any intrathecal opioid in the spinal. And Eric, what are you guys doing now? We're doing almost exclusively spinals for the joints unless there's a contraindication or just flat out refusal, uh, plain local bupivacaine. Um, majority of, of patients are getting a ductor canal single shot or, or catheter just depends on the surgeon. And, um, there's a couple surgeons that just prefer infiltration alone, but it's usually one of those, one of those three options plus multimodal agents before, and then for usually 48 hours after. And then are you guys doing the adductor canals post-op? So it's out of the We're doing post-op. The catheters are getting yeah, put in. Yeah, we do them post-op pretty much exclusively. Yeah. We do them pre-op almost exclusively. How do you get them out of the surgical field? Um, just put them high enough, tape it up. We, the, uh, oftentimes the, the, you know, it, we let them put the, the 
dressing or the drapes or whatever right over top if the if the falls in the way of the tourniquet it's not a problem so usually about half midway up the thigh is where we're where we're going and seems to be out of the way for them and colin you guys are putting them in pre-op or post-op uh, pre-op as well yeah it just depends on your resources available if you, you know we, we're fortunate to have an area where we can put in pre-op blocks yeah. um and uh you know like sandy we're just staying fairly high with the adductor canal i actually use a uh an out-of-plane technique where I'm coming down uh, with the needle coming from proximal to distal mm-hmm. into the adductor canal. And that tends to keep, you know, leaves a little bit of a track there that means that the uh, the catheter insertion point through skin is actually fairly much more proximal than it is where it actually lies within the canal. Yeah. Um, and, and then it's, you know, it does take a bit of uh, understanding from the surgeon that, you know, you know, to try and work around that the, the dressing area and things and, and try and avoid pulling the catheter out when they take the dressing off. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know it's um, it, you know we, we we're fortunate to have a great group of surgeons in that regard. Yeah, so we've gone you know uh, as many of you guys have we've gone full circle through all the different various types of blocks and anesthetics, and it's funny how we've all sort of ended up very close to each other in this process because we do spinals with plain bupivacaine, almost no opioid, and do periarticular injection with multimodals. And uh, we don't actually do any blocks for these patients, and we're having very good success um, with those patients as well. So I, I almost think that the periarticular injection, I wonder how many times they're accidentally doing an adductor canal block for us in the process mm-hmm. of doing that sort of yeah. dirty block, you know, and just injecting everywhere, that maybe that's why we're not having to uh, uh, supplement as often. Uh, because we're, mm-hmm. we're we're kind of gone from our original sniper type of approach to a block to just kind of shotgunning the whole knee and uh, and getting the analgesia that way. So um, I, I was expecting a more disparate response, actually, <laughs> from everybody. I'm surprised how <laughs> close all of our responses were. Yeah, we had um, – it's interesting you talk about the – because we just we, – in the past, in the last couple of years ago, we just did local infiltration analgesia alone. Um, this is for our ambulatory total knee replacements. We actually have a colleague here, Homer Yang, who's uh, one of our anesthesiologists, that's using a um, home monitoring system where patients go home with cardiovascular monitoring, pulse oximetry. Oh, very and cool. And they also have the ability to enter pain scores into a database as well. Um, and, and it's interesting, he's running this study with total knees, and we started doing uh, adductor canal catheters mid-study. And he, he told me that, you know, you can definitely see the reduction in pain with the adductor canal catheter compared to prior to the adductor canal catheter. Wow. So um, that would sort of match up with some of the data that's come out in the last couple of years. I'm thinking of papers like um, Mona Sonny and colleagues from North York General in in Toronto did a study where they also showed benefit the addition of an adductor canal block. So I think, you know, it's, um, I'm not sure it's a massive difference, but I think it's enough of a difference that, you know, if you can put an adductor canal block in, I think it is worthwhile. Well, um, I do want to wind this down. I think, um, you know, we had a fantastic spring meeting. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I think the attendance was over 1,300, which is the highest that uh, of any ASRA meeting to date. Um, I want to remind people that the fall pain meeting is uh, uh, coming up. I think it's in San Antonio, if I remember right. And um, the next year, of course, in the spring is the World Congress uh, hosted by the American Society of Regional Anesthesia, and that's going to be in New York City. So um, register early for that one. That one's going to 
fill up really quickly. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge packed meeting with a lot of great uh, topics and uh, uh, way too many sessions to go to, I think. Um, <laughs> so uh, please attend. Please pay attention to that. Um, there's always great material on the Azra.com website. Go there, blog posts, news articles, um, new educational material. And then, of course, you can find our podcast there as well. So uh, just to wind down, uh, thank you very much, Colin, Sandy, Eric. Uh, another great episode. And uh, it was always fun talking with you guys. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.